0: Hey, Keystoners, welcome back to Keystone State of Mind. It's me, Steph, your tour guide to the dark side of Pennsylvania. Happy New Year, everybody. I am so glad to be out of that dumpster fire that was 2020. And we can only hope that this year is a lot better. Here we are at Season 2, Episode 1 of KSOM. So glad you're joining me. And I have so much big news today. First, KSOM now has a legit merch store with hoodies and T-shirts, tank tops, masks, stickers, all kinds of stuff. You got to go check it out. It's awesome. There is a link in the show notes that'll take you right to it. Or you can go to the website, KSOMthepod.com and click the merchandise tab. Please be aware, my website is working, but it's slightly under construction, so it might look kind of shitty right now. I'm working on it. The KSOM license plates are still available in the Etsy store, and that link is also in the show notes. Second big announcement. KSOM is now on Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it is a platform where listeners can help to support their favorite podcasts and podcast creators with a monthly monetary pledge. And in return for that pledge, you get some really awesome perks. So I'm gonna quickly outline what those perks are for KSOM on Patreon. For $5 a month, you get a thank you card and stickers from me. You also get 15% off of anything in the new KSOM merch store. And the best part is you get two bonus episodes every month. Now, these episodes are going to be a little different than regular KSOM. The first is called the KSOM Road Trip. And that's basically just like regular KSOM, only I'm going to be talking about things that happened outside of Pennsylvania. So it could be anywhere in the world, but it's the same type of stories. Murder and mayhem, true crime, urban legends, hauntings, disasters, same kind of stuff. The second episode is going to be different, though. It's called The After Party. And that's because it's going to be a little more lighthearted. I'm going to tell funnier stories, dumb criminals, stupid town names. I'll probably talk more about myself and my personal life. It's just going to be more fun. And with not much of a format, I'm just going to talk about whatever I think is funny or cool at that time. So I'm really looking forward to that. There is one episode of The Road Trip available now on Patreon, and this month's After Party episode will come out in like a week or so. I haven't decided on an exact recording schedule for Patreon, but they're going to be staggered a little bit. One in the beginning of the month, one a couple weeks later. Something like that. And you can find that at patreon.com slash K-S-O-M. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash K-S-O-M. And that link will also be in the show notes. So as you can see, I've been doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff during my break. I wasn't just neglecting you guys, I promise. Now I just have one more big announcement, but this one isn't quite as exciting kind of sad. Former Pennsylvania Governor and Attorney General Dick Thornburg has died. He passed away on New Year's Eve at the age of 88. And I thought it was fitting to give him a tribute here since we've talked about him so much. Rest in peace, Thorn Dickbag. We will miss you but your legacy will live on forever here on KSOM. Hopefully none of Dick Thornburg's loved ones listened to this podcast because they may not have loved that tribute, but it works for us, right? Okay, there's just one thing left to do before we get into today's story. For the first time in 2021, Let's get into a Keystone state of mind. As always, I'll be enjoying an ice-cold can of Keystone Light while I tell you today's story. And cheers to a better fucking year than 2020. In 1955, science fiction author Morris K. Jessup began receiving correspondence from a man calling himself Carlos Allende. In these letters, Mr. Allende described a secret government experiment that had been conducted on Navy sailors during World War II. The things that Carlos Allende laid out in his letters were hard for even Morris Jessup to believe. Like I said, Morris Jessup was a science fiction author, but he was also a conspiracy theorist and something of a crackpot. He had actually just released a book called The Case for the UFO. And this book talked a lot about alien transportation and the type of propulsion methods that these spacecraft could possibly use to travel through the universe But these things that he talked about in his book were fantastical, not real, but he kind of presented this stuff as fact, like as if it could actually happen and probably has. It wasn't billed as a fiction novel, really. And that's probably why Carlos Allende chose him to disclose this information that he had. This is Carlos Allende's story. During World War II, he was a sailor that was assigned to the SS Furiseth. And in the summer of 1943, this ship was docked in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. Sometime in July of that year, though Allende could not be sure of the exact date, a different vessel in the harbor known as the USS Eldridge, was being prepped for an unusual experiment. The goal of this experiment was to make the ship invisible to enemy radar. Allende claimed that he knew exactly how this experiment was going to work, but he was elusive when explaining it in his correspondence to Morris Jessup. All he would say is that this radar invisibility technique could only be achieved using the Unified Field Theory. This is a theoretical physics term. I have zero fucking grasp on theoretical physics, so I'm going to describe this the best I know how. This theory aims to correlate all four of the fundamental forces known in the universe. These four forces are the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, gravity, and electromagnetism. That's all I got. I have no idea what else this is supposed to mean. And it really doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on the rest of the story. However, this theory, the unified field theory, was posited by Albert Einstein, but he was never able to prove it. And it's still to this day never been proven, either mathematically or physically. Carlos Allende said that was bullshit, that yes, it had been proven, and he himself had been taught it by Albert Einstein. About this time, Morris Jessup is like, mm, okay, buddy, uh, you're fucking nuts. And that's saying a lot coming from a guy who kind of was nuts himself. But Allende was just getting started. If Morris Jessup thought this guy was crazy before, oh, he's going to find out. Allende claimed that this experiment was actually carried out, but that it went horribly wrong. The researchers didn't only make the ship invisible to radar they made it disappear completely, right in front of everyone's eyes. Within moments, it reappeared in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard, but the men on board were in really bad shape. And that's just the ones that actually made it back. Allende said that some of them disappeared completely forever. The sailors that came back, he said, They went mad. They were crazy, like wild animals. Some of them were actually embedded in the ship. Their limbs were fused with the metal, unable to be freed. It was as if this experiment jumbled up all the molecules and these sailors became part of the ship's structure. So, yeah, it was a big failure. The ship was still visible on radar, just invisible for a few minutes. And it fucked up all these guys on the ship. So back to the drawing board. I'm sure by now you guys are understanding that this guy, Ande, he's fucking nuts. And I'm sure this did not happen the way he's describing But his story is not finished. There's more. Carlos Allende said that the researchers did go back to the drawing board. Start over. What went wrong? Move a decimal here. Carry the one there. Blah, blah, blah. And keep in mind that he never actually named not one of these researchers. Except Albert Einstein, of course, who, you know, he met and studied with personally. Another thing that's important to mention right now is that sometime throughout this correspondence in 1955, Carlos Allende changed his name in these letters and started calling himself Carl Allen, which is basically just an Americanized version of Carlos Allende, right? Dropped the OS on Carlos, dropped the... DE on Allende. Why he did this, who fucking knows? It's off his rocker. I am going to continue to refer to him as Carlos Allende, though, just to avoid any confusion. So Allende continued with his story. He said that they tried the experiment again in October of 1943. This time they thought they had it right. They reconfigured their equations and dotted their I's and crossed their T's or whatever. But once again, it wasn't right. And this time it was worse. This time, the USS Eldridge disappeared from the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard, just like before. But it reappeared in the harbor in Norfolk, Virginia. The ship hung out there for a minute and then it teleported back to the shipyard, except it came back 10 minutes before it left. That's the claim. So now we're talking disappearing ships, teleportation and time travel. In my mind, Of course, I don't understand time travel real well, but I would think that there had to have been two of the same ship with the same people on it in the shipyard for 10 minutes. If the teleported ship came back 10 minutes before the actual ship left, I would think that there had to have been a duplicate there. And that seems like something that a lot of people would remember. But I'm not a time travel expert, so I don't know. Ayande said the ship was also surrounded by a green glow when it disappeared and when it reappeared. Also, the effects on the sailors were pretty much the same as the first experiment. Some of them went crazy Some of them were fused to the ship on a molecular level, and some of them did not come back at all. He said that this operation was top secret, and it was classified under the name Project Rainbow. And that's where Carlos Allende's story of the Philadelphia experiment ends. As of the end of 1955, the only person that had heard this story of Carlos Allende's was Morris Jessup, that sci fi author. Well, you know, he didn't hear it, he read it in the letters. You know what I mean? And even though Morris Jessup thought this guy was a couple sandwiches short of a picnic, he still decided to look into it a little bit. But no fucking surprise. He found nothing. And he was basically ready to just wash his hands of this whole situation altogether. That was until 1957, when a couple of investigators knocked on his door and said, Hey, do you know this guy named Carlos Allende? These guys identified themselves as being from the Office of Naval Research. Can you imagine what Morris Jessup was thinking at that moment? Like, he'd pretty much dismissed this guy as being a complete wackadoodle, and then legit investigators from the Navy show up at his house and ask about him? These naval research guys had their own interesting story to tell. In 1956, a package had been sent to the Office of Naval Research or the ONR. It was a manila envelope containing a copy of Morris Jessup's book, The Case for the UFO. Inside the book, there were written numerous annotations with some complex physics jargon. There seemed to be three different distinct handwritings in the book, but they were all written in different shades of pink pen. Also written in the book was the name Carlos Allende, which is what brought the ONR investigators to Morris Jessup's home asking about this guy. Strangely, on the outside of the manila envelope, it said, Happy Easter! However, I do not know if this package was sent or received around Easter time. I have no clue. Morris Jessup inspected the book and the annotations and determined that all three handwritings were actually that of Carlos Allende. He had received over 50 letters from this guy, so he could recognize his handwriting. It was clear, though, that Allende was trying to make it look like three different people wrote in the book. For some reason, these investigators from the ONR took enough stock in the bullshit written in this book to actually have it published. A second publishing of the book with the annotations in it. They had 127 copies of this fucking thing made. It's become known as the Vero editions, and that's because the Vero manufacturing company are the ones that published the book with the annotations in it. Apparently, images of this are available online, so I'll try to find some pictures and share them on social media. And if you can find a real copy of the Vero edition of Morris Jessup's book, you'll probably be rich. They're worth a lot of money in conspiracy theorist circles. Keep your eye out at yard sales, guys. At this point in the story, we have to say goodbye to Morris Jessup because he took his own life in 1959. He had been in a terrible car accident that left him disabled and shortly after that went through a really rough divorce with his wife. In 1959, he killed himself using the fumes from his car exhaust. Somehow, this wild story made its way into popular culture. I have no idea how. After the death of Morris Jessup, who really knew about it, other than the people who owned the 127 copies of the Vero edition of his book. But in 1984, a film was made about this incident titled The Philadelphia Experiment. This movie is available to buy or rent on YouTube. Surprise, surprise. I didn't watch it. The stars of this movie are Michael Pear from Eddie and the Cruisers and Nancy Hall from Carrie. So I guess it was probably a cool movie in 1984. If you're into corny 80s B thrillers, you might like it. A couple of years after the release of this movie, in 1988, a guy named L. Bilick came forward he said that he actually took part in this experiment he was one of these unnamed researchers but he'd been brainwashed to forget that it ever happened and it wasn't until the release of the movie that he finally remembered what the actual fuck goes on in people's heads that's what i want to know he literally came forward to naval authorities and claimed this. I don't know whatever became of this bilit guy, but I certainly hope it involved antipsychotic medication. The movie did spark some critical thinking, though. In 1994, an astrophysicist and ufologist named Jacques Vallée published an article in the Journal of Scientific Exploration titled, Anatomy of a Hoax, the Philadelphia Experiment 50 Years Later. He obviously knew that this was bullshit, and he actually asked readers that if they had further information about this story, to please get a hold of them. And somebody did. This guy was named Edward Dudgeon. He had served in the US Navy from 1942 to 1945. In the fall of 1993, Dudgeon was stationed on the USS Angstrom, that was dry docked in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. He was an electrician, and he did know of a technique that was being used on the USS Eldridge at that time, but it wasn't a secret and it wasn't experimental. It was a procedure called degaussing. During World War II, and I'm sure other wars, magnetic mines were dropped on the ocean floor by all parties involved, really. And the hope was that a passing ship or a submarine would be close enough to these magnetic mines that they would attach themselves to the vessel and blow it up. Of course, the U.S. Navy had to have some kind of defense against this. This is where degaussing comes in. This process will decrease the electromagnetism of metal. The U.S. Navy utilized this technique during World War II so that when they passed over these mines, it was less likely that they would attach themselves to the hull of the ship. This is way too sciencey for me, but somehow they wrapped the hull of the ship in some kind of electromagnetic cord, hooked it up to a bunch of generators, and passed an electric current through the metal that decreased the magnetism. That's the best way I can describe it. You guys fucking know I hate science shit. This process could potentially create a visible electromagnetic storm type thing, which is also known as St. Almo's Fire. Didn't know that. I thought that was a movie or something that, of course, I never watched, but I had to look it up. St. Elmo's Fire is a weather phenomenon that is caused by electricity in the atmosphere. This can be seen during lightning storms and generally affects pointy objects like the wings of an aircraft maybe a chimney, even a blade of grass. It produces a faint blue or violet glow and sometimes even a humming sound. The degaussing process could absolutely cause this. Edward Dudgeon explained that this could easily be what someone misconstrued as a weird green glow around the USS Eldridge. He also remembered a lot of rumors flying around about crazy experiments being conducted at the time. He also had a really good explanation about why the USS Eldridge may have been seen in Norfolk, Virginia, in the fall of 1943. Dudgeon explained that there were inland channels that led from one port to another. And during World War II, these were shut off to commercial shipping. The only vessels that were using these inland channels were military vessels and it would cut the travel time down significantly. So it was possible for the Eldridge to go from Philadelphia to Norfolk and back in a fairly short amount of time. I mean, we're talking hours, not minutes, but like less than a whole day that was possible. Edward Dudgeon's recollections were really the beginning of the end of Carlos Allende's ridiculous fucking story. More information came out in 1999 when there was a reunion for the sailors that served on the USS Eldridge. This reunion was held in Atlantic City, New Jersey, but the Philadelphia Inquirer actually reported on it. All the sailors said that the Eldridge was not in Philadelphia in the summer of 1943, when the first incident supposedly occurred. It was actually in Brooklyn Harbor. Further research showed That the Eldridge was not even commissioned as a military vessel until August of 1943, a month after the supposed first incident in July. So this conspiracy theory has been debunked all the way around. So why are we still talking about it? The reason why I wanted to share it is because it's weird, and I like it, and it's part of Pennsylvania history, but there are still people who believe this really happened, and I just wanted to put the facts out there because I'd heard this story before on the History Channel. They presented... (laughs) Carlos Allende's story as fact, basically. And this was like a decade or more ago. This was the actual first conspiracy theory that I was like, "Mm, I'm not buying it. Somebody around here is full of shit. And I'm going to say it was the History Channel. I also just wanted to talk about what a noodle Carlos Allende was, or is. I'm assuming he's dead by now, but I have nothing to back that up. Mainly because, as far as I can tell, there was no record of him ever existing. I'm sure there is a Carlos Allende out there somewhere. Maybe even a Carl Allen. But in all the research I did, I can't see where either of those guys, were on any ship in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in 1943. Let's assume for a minute that both of those were aliases, and the man that was writing to Morris Jessup was actually a sailor on any ship in Philadelphia in 1943. Is it possible That he witnessed the degaussing of the USS Eldridge, saw some kind of St. Elmo's fire, and fabricated this story in his head at the time. Or maybe succumbed to some kind of mental illness later, and these memories surfaced then. I'm going to say either of those scenarios are very possible. World War II was a very stressful situation I can only imagine for anyone involved. And that's the generally accepted theory. Allende was a crackpot and he either was mentally ill or wanted attention. But I'd like to bring up A different idea. What if Morris Jessup cooked up the story? I could see it. He's trying to drum up publicity for his new ridiculous book that no one's taking seriously. If this story had taken off in 1955, Morris Jessup could have been a very famous author, but. This story did not take off in 1955. By 1959, Morris Jessup was in a bad way and took his own life. The next time anybody heard about the Philadelphia Experiment was in 1984 when the movie came out. Morris Jessup would have really had to wait a long time to see his PR campaign come to fruition. So maybe I'm a little off base. It was just a thought. You guys have all the facts now. Make up your own mind. There it is. The first episode of season two is in the books. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I look forward to a great second season of KSOM. And I can't wait to hear what everybody thinks about all the new merch, the Patreon, and the new episodes that are to come. Much love in the new year. Here's to bigger and better things for everyone. I don't know about you, but if I never have to think about the unified field theory again, I'm going to be real pleased. Let's try not to make up wild stories about teleportation and time travel. But whatever you do, stay keystone, my friends.